Hi, this is Alicia Prieto in Youngstown, Ohio. I just came back home from acing my citizenship exam. This podcast was recorded at... It is 2.07 p.m. on Tuesday, October 26, 2021. Things may have changed by the time you hear it, but I will probably still be impatiently waiting for information for my naturalization ceremony. Enjoy the show. congratulations that's impressive i don't know if i could pass it honestly i've seen i feel like every time i come across one of those questions from one of those i'm like that's actually tougher than people realize yes very tough yeah. hey there it's the npr politics podcast i'm aisha roscoe i cover the white house i'm miles parks and i cover voting and misinformation and we've got npr's tech correspondent bobby allen with us hi bobby hello So you are here because there was a hearing today and it involved these platforms, TikTok, Snapchat, and YouTube. These social media platforms testified before the Senate about, you know, how well they say that they protect kids online. Bobby, what did the senators want to hear from these platforms and 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 did they get the information they were looking for so i think the point of this hearing was really to drag you know top lobbyists from youtube snapchat and tiktok before them to try to drill into them in the same way that facebook and twitter have been drilled into in the past Mm -hmm. which is to say we know your platforms are incredibly popular um, especially with young people your platforms are very popular and what are you doing to curb harmful content and to keep your platforms as safe as they can be. And I mean, there's a whole variety of different issues about how the platforms are abused and how um, the incentives that these platforms have can sometimes drive young people to do dangerous things or to serve up age inappropriate content. So I think we heard a lot of answers that they were sort of like dodging around the core question. Um, But what I think this whole hearing really did illustrate is that, you know, Congress is not just interested in giving Facebook a hard time. I mean, they're looking at social media across the board, and that also means Snapchat and TikTok. So um, I think this really hammered home to them that, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to avoid congressional scrutiny. And Miles, we talked yesterday about the the Facebook whistleblower, Frances Haugen. She, in her testimony earlier this month, uh, highlighted the impact of Facebook and Instagram on young women in particular. But it seems like there is a lot of talk and scrutiny right now on these companies. But is there anything that's really changing or, or coming out of this scrutiny? I think that's the funny thing, right, is like we have this weird juxtaposition where I think it's fair to say that lawmakers are more in the know now about how these technologies work than they ever have been. And I would say they're more angry about how these technologies work than they ever have been. And people more broadly, when they respond to polls, generally almost all of them say these uh, social media is worse for the world than better for the world. And yet at the same time, when we look at data on how much people are using them, People are using these technologies more than they ever have been before. You know, a report I was looking at yesterday from the parental control company Custodio found that use in 2020 of screen time broadly was up 36% from the year prior. We saw a Facebook earnings call come out yesterday that found the company is largely really, really financially successful. And so we're seeing a lot of anger 
but we're still seeing, you know, TikTok having a billion users. So, Bobby, you know, Facebook and Twitter have testified dozens of times before Congress, um, but this was the first time for both Snapchat and TikTok. It seems like, are, are the companies, are they more pointing at Facebook and saying, because Facebook is kind of going through the ringer right now, and saying, look at them, we're, we're not quite like Facebook, even though they are kind of like Facebook or have a lot of the same issues? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Senator Blumenthal made the point several times in the hearing that, you know, being different from Facebook is not a defense. I understand from your testimony that your defense is we're not Facebook. We're different and we're different from each other. Being different from Facebook is not a defense. That bar is in the gutter. It's not a defense to say that you are different. I think the platforms are all enjoying pointing out the ways in which um, they aren't Facebook because they know that Facebook is really in the congressional uh, vice grip right now and is, is, is you know dealing with a lot of other legal challenges that are threatening some of uh, the core uh, ways that it uh, makes money, right? Um, but, I mean, look, YouTube, Snapchat, and, and TikTok, they all are optimized for engagement. I mean, critics would say there are design flaws with the ways in which these social media companies operate that, you know, encourage people to see content that is violent, that is misleading, that is full of disinformation. And um, yeah, there are ways in which, you know, Facebook is different than, you know, Snapchat and TikTok. But at core, they are social media companies that have the same exact profit-seeking incentive, and that is to keep people as engaged as possible. And that often leads to just some really problematic content. And we kind of talked about this a bit yesterday, but but what can be done, especially because like Snapchat, 90% of uh, 13 to 24-year-olds use Snapchat, according to Snapchat, um, that's a lot of young people. Like I said, I know my kids want to be on TikTok. They are not on TikTok yet, but they, they like to try to get on mine and, and pretend and tell people to subscribe that button um, because they're so used to like YouTube. But like what can be done to actually protect kids and protect young people um, who are on these platforms? I mean, the the platform said during this hearing that they have their own ways to basically safeguard teens and, and other young people. I mean, TikTok, for instance, has all sorts of parental controls and they have tools that encourage users to take a break. Um, you know, YouTube has similar uh, sort of uh, safeguards in place. But, you know, besides the platforms policing themselves, which I think history has shown they're not fully capable of doing, um, you know, there's all sorts of regulatory proposals, whether it's taking a look at the algorithms. Does the algorithm need to be um, overseen by government? I mean, there's a lot of academics who study social media who says that is potentially a really thorny and scary prospect because, you know, as the political winds change, maybe the way that they see algorithms will change. And that just, you know, that that really does distress a lot of people who study social media. Should um, these companies be forced to beef up their content moderation team so there's more people watching what's being posted and they could take stuff down? Um, or is there some other kind of government oversight? And, and you know, time will tell what ends up happening. But I think there is bipartisan energy right now for more to be done because, you know, these companies thrived in Silicon Valley because there are virtually no regulations and there haven't been for decades. And obviously that is about to change. 
it kind of comes down to transparency to me. I mean, transparency for parents in terms of can parents have a better understanding of, you know, what their kids are being fed when they give them these apps and transparency on how much the companies know about their products effects on kids. You know, we've seen the last couple of years, Facebook kind of evade the question of how much they knew about how Instagram and Facebook were affecting kids. And then in the leaked documents over the last couple of weeks, it's very clear they knew more than they were letting on. And so I think that's going to be a big question going forward is how much do these other companies know about how their products are affecting children? Let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about how these companies collect data on young people. And we're back. Let's talk about TikTok for a minute. The platform is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance, and that was a focus of some conservative uh, Republican lawmakers who who talked about the company and its data collection. And and this was an issue back during the Trump administration, too, um, about, you know, who owned uh, TikTok. What did the company have to say about that? So the company, under some pretty fierce and spirited grilling from Ted Cruz, said, look, there is a firewall between TikTok's U.S. operations and China. Trust needs to be earned. Mr. Beckerman, I, I get you may have broader points you want to make. My, my question is simple and straightforward. Does TikTok consider ByteDance, the parrot company headquartered in Beijing, to be part of TikTok's corporate group? That's, that's a yes or no. Senator, access controls for our data is done by our U.S. teams. Yeah, TikTok's corporate parent company is based in Beijing, and that's part of the basis for, you know, the Trump administration's uh, failed attempt to put TikTok out of business, where these these concerns, and look, they're not just Republican concerns, there are bipartisan concerns about TikTok's ties to China and the Chinese Communist Party. Um, but under grilling from, you know, Senator Cruz and others, Michael Beckerman, who's a top lobbyist for TikTok, said that the company doesn't share information with the Chinese government, never has, never will, and that will raise the question, well, is that true? And I think it is true as far as we know. We, we, we have no proof that TikTok has ever given any information to the Chinese government. So if you're a parent out there and you're listening and you're wondering if you should be concerned about the Chinese government getting access to your kids' TikToks, it's probably not a concern yet. That said, it's theoretically possible. And and just to be clear, like what what is the main concern about them having the data? Like China could have the data, and then, you know, look at how your kids dance and do create wild things. I'm cer- certainly it would be more than that, right? Like just their identifying information. Yeah, I mean, I think the concern is around, and Senator Cruz even said this during the hearing, is Chinese propaganda and espionage, right? That basically mm-hmm. Chinese authorities, and again, this is very theoretical, there's no proof that this has ever happened, but that Chinese authorities could build dossiers against Americans and use that to blackmail them, and that China can build, you know, sort of data profiles of, of teenagers, and what would they do with that? I don't know. I don't even want to speculate, because them doing it at all is just sheer speculation. But, um, you know, we do, we do know, because... The Chinese government has such close ties to private business in the country that, you know, when I've talked to uh, security experts who are in China and, and study China, they say this is something that we should still be thinking about. Miles, what kind of regulations are lawmakers suggesting during this hearing? And does it look like any actual regulations are any closer to fruition? 
I mean, I heard kind of everything under the sun. I think we heard a lot of mention of Section 230, uh, this idea that, you know, how much liability should these platforms have for the content that users post currently? They have very, very, very little liability, and a lot of law- some lawmakers would argue that that liability should fall more on these platforms. I will say the companies, the executives from the companies, were really effective at saying they supported the goals of most of the legislation that all of the senators proposed, but they mostly tiptoed around the idea of actually committing to supporting the legislation itself. And that's something that really seemed to frustrate Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut. This is the talk that we've seen again and again and again and again. We support the goals, but that's meaningless unless you support the legislation. I mean, the companies love saying that they support modernizing Section 230 and they support government regulation. But um, look, when you actually apply some real pressure to what they're um, what they're advocating for, it's it's for status quo. I mean, these companies do not want to be regulated in a way that's going to make them completely um, upend their business models and, and how they operate. And I think they are sort of trying to front run regulations by saying, hey, we're embracing them. We actually want them. Please update Section 230. It's because their lobbyists are furiously working with lawmakers trying to write regulations that would be um, advantageous to these companies. All right. Well, you know, whenever lobbyists are asking for laws or regulations, there's usually some type of hitch, you know, with that. So um, thank you so much, uh, Bobby Allen, NPR's tech correspondent. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm Aisha Roscoe. I cover the White House. I'm Miles Parks. I cover voting and misinformation. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.